probably about a year into her her time working there. And he, I'll never forget, we had a joint meeting with my wife and I and him. And and uh, he told us we needed to make our goal to save a million dollars. And I, I remember she about fell out of the chair and, and said uh, after the fact, after we finished that meeting that day, that there was just no way we would ever achieve that and, and ever make that number or anything even close to it. And uh, so we came home and we discussed and I think we just started saying, well, what can we do and how much can we, we start saving a little more aggressively and seriously uh, on that front? And we did. It's really amazing to be able to say yes to a lot of things that I used to have to say. Well, the first thing I tell anybody was, let, let me check my schedule uh, and see how that's going to work. And it, it's been really liberating to get off of the shift schedule after after 23 plus years in, in the business. Welcome millionaires and future millionaires. You're listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, the show where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their portfolio allocation. Now to your host, Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled podcast. This is episode number 293. Eleanor, how's it going? What's going on in your world? Oh, it's going great. I, I'm seeing the the some spring around the corner here and try not to look at the t- news too much as things come out. Uh, but obviously, a lot of headlines always coming. Yeah, real quick on a quick note on that. We did see uh, another interest rate hike from the Fed, but it seems like that's going to be coming to a pause here. Hopefully soon as the inflation fight, as they say, is is uh, tapering off. So good news on that front. We'll be interesting to see what it does uh, to the markets. And we've got several guests here coming up in the next uh, several weeks that we kind of have, have some discussions around this stuff. But at any rate, you're new to hosting, so we probably should make a little introduction to you and kind of introduce you to the, the audience. And uh, yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of time here to, to kind of give you two cents on why you uh, decided to reach out and do this. Oh, sure. Um, you know, I'm a huge fan of the show. I've been listening for a while. And I am incredibly passionate about personal finance, incredibly passionate about getting to millionaire status. Um, I've reached it myself, and I can't wait to see the next generation of millionaires. I will always talk about uh, different experiences to getting to millionaire, uh, millionaire status. For example, I think it's a little bit harder for women and minorities. Um, and I'm always keeping an eye on that. Uh, and thinking about what is different for different types of people. So you'll hopefully hear a little bit about that from me. Um, I think about the world a little bit differently than other people. And in general, I just love to hear these stories. I think that you have an amazing audience. And come on, come on the show because these stories are amazing and every single person has a unique story to offer. Yeah, no, and I'm super excited. And just so our audience knows, Eleanor is one of the smartest people I know. So you'll have some great insights uh, from her. And, and as she mentioned, sees the world very differently than, than a lot of people. So to end the show, we have Robert. His net worth is in between probably three and four million dollars. He has a basically has two point one spread across several asset classes, including a paid for house. But he also has a pension that we get into the discussion about that's between probably six hundred k and another two million. So really interesting interview with him. They do uh, he and his wife uh, do not have any kids, and he is a retired firefighter. Worked uh, as a firefighter for twenty three years. So really interesting career path. Before that, he was kind of in a traditional uh, corporate kind of career path uh, before he decided to uh, become a firefighter. So real excited uh, for that. Excited to hear his perspective. Last week we had Doc G. 
uh, net worth around $10 million. Get into the discussion with him on why he sold all of his real estate and wrote a book. And uh, yeah, so go check that out. It's episode number 292. If you'd like to be on the show, send us an email, millionairesunveiled at gmail.com. And we'd love to uh, get on the, the calendar with you to interview you. Without any further delay, let's get into the interview with Robert. Robert, do you want to just give us a little about your background and what you're up to now? Uh, hi, my name's Robert. Uh, I live uh, on the East Coast of the United States, and uh, my wife and I uh, have been uh, together for 27 years now and have just been working hard together as a couple to, to continue to move along uh, with the dream of, of uh, meeting our retirement goals and, and uh, enjoying what we hope will be an early full retirement together and a lot of uh, future fun and adventure together down the road. Awesome. And what is your net worth today? Uh, our net worth today is about $2.15 million. And how is that broken up? Uh, it's broken up right now. It's broken up uh, about uh, about 900000 in uh, 401ks and IRAs and about uh, about three seventy five in uh, Roth money and then about 50000 in HSAs. Uh, we also have uh, some CDs and a brokerage account that are about two hundred thousand, and uh, ironically enough, another about forty thousand in I bonds, uh, direct with the Treasury, and uh, about one hundred fifty thousand in uh, whole life cash value, and uh, home equity is about four hundred ten thousand right now. Yeah, you got quite the spread. So the money that's in the in the retirement accounts is that invested in in the market in equities or bonds or what's the breakup there? Uh, all of it, of the, uh, of all, everything that's in there about that little under 900,000, everything that's in there with the exception of about 120,000 is in the market itself. And, uh, the 120,000 is, uh, just in a cash, a stable value cash account, uh, that I use specifically to help pay for, uh, healthcare expenses. And, and of the money that's in the market, is that, is it S and P, is it index funds? Is it, mutual funds? Uh, it's in S&P. Uh, the majority of it is in the S&P. And then we do have some money uh, that falls in a mid-cap index fund, just a broad-based index fund. And uh, and so it's just spread around. But we ironically, even though we have different uh, different 401k providers, we, have, we both have access to the same S&P fund through the different providers. So the majority of the money is in, in the S&P uh, as such. When did you start investing in your retirement accounts? Uh, probably actively, I would say a, probably 2000 is a good uh, starting point. Uh, we had done a little bit of Roth beforehand uh, at my former job, which we didn't have or I didn't have access to uh, a 401k type plan. And then we got serious a little bit about starting up and, and, and investing in the market in probably around 2000. So 20, 23 years you go from call it what, 50K or 100K back when, when you got real serious about it and built that up to a million and some change in 20 years. Is that fair? That's That's probably pretty accurate. Yes, sir. Wow. That's pretty pretty remarkable. Did you max it out the whole time? Uh, we maxed it out uh, probably about I would say about maybe about halfway through that period. Maybe maybe a little more than halfway th- or or a little little more than halfway through. I would say we didn't start maxing out because we didn't have the ability to do it. But as soon as we could start maxing out, we both did. Interesting. the The home equity that you have is that 
paid for home or you still have a note on it? No, sir. It's paid off. Uh, we paid it off in uh, 2020. Uh, we had an ability with some of the cash value on the life insurance that was coming up. We were able to liquidate some of the cash value uh, on the life insurance, pay off the balance on the mortgage and not uh, suffer any tax ramifications at that time. So we saw it as a as a complete win in addition, of course, to just retiring the mortgage and freeing up that payment. Interesting. I want to get into the the cash value life insurance policy a little bit. How did that come about and, and what's been the strategy there you know, over the years? When did you start that and, and maybe walk us through that a little bit? We started it in around 2001 and my wife, uh, she was let go from a previous employer and she went to work for a, uh, a gentleman in the insurance uh, business, one of the large uh, national providers of, of insurance products and things. And uh, basically, as such, we were, uh, she got uh, information about how the different life insurance vehicles worked. And I, I had a background in insurance from my father who worked in the insurance industry. And I worked in insurance uh, during the first four, uh, three or four years of my career. And so I understood the insurance products and stuff, and and it seemed like we wanted to increase our insurance coverage uh, because of my job. Uh, and so we chose to go ahead and and pursue the whole life policy. And it was a it was a large financial lift at the time, like a lot of people would would say at the early years. And uh, it basically started up, and and it did seem expensive at the start. But I would say after about five or six years, the, the annual premium seemed to be a lot more manageable for us. And uh, so that's how we pursued that to start. Robert, thinking about your retirement account, I believe you mentioned 120 k in cash for healthcare expenses. Could you walk us through a little bit about how you came to that number and, and how you're thinking about that? Well, when I left my job, a year and a half ago uh, in public safety. Uh, before I left, one of the people that had also retired a couple of years prior to me brought to my attention that there was a, a uh, legislative change at the federal level that allows early, early retiree public safety people to access uh, their deferred comp money and pay their health care premiums directly with deferred comp money and receive a tax credit for it. And so when when I got ready to retire, my wife and I have always had our healthcare coverage separate. We've never been on a joint family plan. And so, so it looked advantageous to continue to stick with uh, the retiree healthcare uh, plan at my former employer. And so I decided that the best thing to do would be to set aside just some straight cash money in order to help pay for those premiums for what would be a, a worst case long duration scenario if I if I stayed with that healthcare plan, I wanted to have enough money to cover those premiums. And in fact, it's well more than enough. It's probably too much for the time frame that's there. But I also wanted to have a little bit of liquidity because uh, my deferred comp plan also, I'm able to access it early pre 59 and a half without paying any type of a penalty. So if I needed that money for something other than even healthcare, I could also access it. But the, the healthcare premiums are paid directly from the uh, deferred compensation plan. I never see the money. It never comes through my hands. And at the end of the year, I'm able to take a tax credit on it when I file our federal income taxes. Got it. Yeah, that's a lot of cash, but it seems like you you have it earmarked. It, it is earmarked, and it, and it is it could be used for some other things. We're probably 
probably going to do a, a home relocation uh, and downsize a little bit uh, in a couple of years. And we just thought we might need some of that cash in the in the short term. And again, not being able or not having to pay a, a penalty on the early access to it, it just seemed like the smart thing to do would be to keep it a little more uh, a little more cash in there for anything that else might come up, whether it would be part of the relocation that we plan on doing or maybe some type of a, a home project that's needed. Uh, and again, without having to pay the penalty on it, uh, compared to a normal 401k plan, it just seemed fairly prudent as we got near the end of, end of my career. So Robert, when you've gone on this investment journey, starting putting money in your retirement accounts, you've had a couple of different career paths. I guess we haven't really even gotten into to, to what you've done. Maybe that'd be a, a, of, of note. Maybe you can tell our guests kind of the career path that, that you've taken. I mean, how, how has your strategy evolved? How have the conversations with your spouse evolved over time as you've gone over this over the last 25, you know, 30 years? Yeah. When I started, when I left and graduated from college, I went into the insurance business for a few years and I handled uh, auto property claim damage claims uh, for one of the large insurance carriers. And it was a good job. It really, I really enjoyed it as such. And my father had worked for the same company for many years as a, as an agent on the sell side. And I enjoyed it when I first started out. And it was, uh, it was very interesting to do that and to learn the background of the business and and how that all worked. But after a couple of years, they had some changes at the corporate level and and it changed the structure and nature of my job and involved a relocation. And we made the relocation. We moved to to make the job uh, work, continue working for them. But after about nine months into the new role, I just decided it really wasn't for me. Uh, And I had always wanted to, to become a firefighter. While I was in college, I met somebody who exposed me to uh, firefighting, and I decided that that was something that I always wanted to do. And even when I was working in the insurance industry and in college, I, I did volunteer as a firefighter, and I thought that that might be something I'd want to do for a living as as far as uh, a career. And so we just started making some job applications. And my wife is from a, a different state than where we were living at the time, and I I told her I said if if we can get a job in the fire service. I'll be happy to relocate if that's where it ends up being and, and we'll move back to her home state. And, and that ended up happening and we ended up moving and relocating and and stuff like that. And then she went through a job change. And uh, once we got up here and, and that put her in the insurance industry. And so we got exposed to the investing side of things fairly heavily through her job at the insurance company. We were using uh, her boss's company was the uh, advisory firm. And we sat a sit-down meeting with them and and started putting together some future plans and things. Probably about a year into her her time working there, and he, I'll never forget, we had a joint meeting with my wife and I and him, and and uh, he told us we needed to make our goal to save a million dollars. And I I remember she about fell out of the chair and and said uh, after the fact after we finished that meeting that day that there was just no way we would ever achieve that and and ever make that number or anything even close to it and uh, so we came home and we discussed and I think we just started saying well what can we do and how much can we we start saving a little more aggressively and seriously uh, on that front and we did. Uh, in my first firefighting job, they did not have any type of a, a, a deferred compensation or benefit plan, uh, just a pension system. And then I ended up relocating to a different fire department, and they they did have a uh, 
deferred compensation plan is actually a 457B plan, which is what gives us the early access on, on the funds in my account. And I just said, well, we just need to start putting as much away as we can in there and, and invest it as comfortably as we can from a risk perspective. And it just started going from there. And we've made adjustments over time and have, and have made uh, some changes and, and some mistakes as we've invested that money along the way and, and learned from them. Uh, fortunately, learned from them. Probably one of the biggest mistakes was making portfolio changes in the middle of 08 and 09 that probably cost us uh money if we were sitting same same today but just like everybody you just go through those process and you don't you don't look back too far you understand what you did and why you did it and the best thing you can do is to not make that same mistake going forward which fortunately we haven't after two additional two additional uh, really problems and, and downturns in the market. I was going to say, when you're having that uh, discussion with, with the former employer, you should have said, hey, I want to get there, but uh, I think I'm going to need a raise right now to, to get there, huh? Yeah, that would have been very, <laughs> that would have been very good uh, if she'd have done that for sure, uh, because she did like working there and she was getting an education in, in uh, the insurance business and investments as well. And probably he, what we probably should have told him is maybe we shouldn't do whole life with you. Maybe we should just take that money and invest it in a brokerage account or, or uh, go all in on these Roth accounts that we've opened up recently. Yeah. Would you consider that a, a mistake that, that you made along the way? I'm going to say in truth, honestly, looking where we're at today, probably not. I think the whole life policies have worked out very well for us, uh, given what the current cash value is and what we've put in as, as the principal piece. And in in the fall of 2020, during the uh, pandemic, we when we were able to go ahead and, and as I approached the retirement target date, as we, we looked around and said, well, you know, we could really help our monthly cash flow and stuff uh, by paying off the mortgage. Is that something we want to do? Uh, and looking around and having the opportunity to liquidate some of those policies, because it was a cluster of of whole life policies, but being able to take that money out, not have to take any type of tax ramifications on it and, and pay off the house. I think that it, it's really here at the, at the end as we approach the later years. I think it's actually been a very, a very strong win. And, a, and we've had the, we've had the coverage the whole time and, and we know what we're going to do with the rest of the cash value and the policies over the next couple of years. And, and the premiums currently today are minuscule and, uh, and so really for what we're getting, we still feel really good, I think, about that. Awesome. So Robert, congrats on uh, retiring early. Could you talk a little bit about when that was and how you got there? And, uh, and I'll keep going. Yes, ma'am. When we got when I started in the fire department, it was uh, for for an actual career. It was uh, 1998. It was January of 98. And uh, even after changing departments along the way, uh, after a couple of years, I would say around 2010 or 12, I kind of really realized that uh, the job was changing and it was it was becoming challenging and and it was just becoming more demanding on on the home life uh, and uh, our marriage and things. And so we talked about it and said, you know, maybe we should strive to to not stay continue working from, uh, in the fire department as long as I might have originally said. And it became just a, a little bit of a grind and, and demanding uh, more mentally and physically than I was expecting, especially as you get older in life. Uh, it's it's really, it's a young person's game. Once you get over a certain age, it's it's even more demanding, I, 
to do as far as the uh, the shift schedule and the duration and the nature of the activities. And so we started talking about potentially having me leave the workforce fairly early. And, and at that time, we also both had, I think we had fairly aggressive uh, plans to retire early and jointly together uh, and pursue some other things once we finished working, if we could meet our goals. Uh, and so we'd been really planning it for pretty seriously about 10 years before I left the workforce and retired. And the last two or three years, uh, we knew that it was definitely what we wanted to do. And my wife was very supportive. She definitely said, it's time for you to get out of that job and and to go on and to kind of reclaim your personal time and your freedom and and maybe even some of your mental health. So it, it was definitely a joint decision. And, and we have had no regrets over it whatsoever. It's been a real blessing to the household, um, to my wife's continuing to work some. Uh, it's been a good thing from her her desk. It's been a great thing from my desk. And it's just, it's really amazing to be able to say yes to a lot of things that I used to have to say, well, the first thing I tell anybody was, let, let me check my schedule uh, and see how that's gonna work. And it, it's been really liberating to get off of the shift schedule after after 23 plus years in, in the business. Oh, I can ima- imagine. I think uh, I, I can speak for myself and hopefully a lot of listeners where we're waiting for that day. Um, so what? how old were you when that, when that retirement came? Uh, I retired, I was uh, 50, 50 years old is when I retired. I had originally thought about staying a little bit longer, but uh, after talking with my wife and, and pushing it off a couple extra months, uh, I decided to go ahead and leave at age 50. I had access to the, uh, the pension that's provided from the employer. And uh, I talked to our human resources department and they ran some numbers for me and gave me some additional information that I was a little surprised by. Uh, on the positive side, they, they made me see things from even a different perspective that I, I was unaware of. And so I left the workforce at 50. Oh, that's great. So that pension sort of factored into the early retirement. Uh, most definitely it, it did. It's I tell people it's good to have it. Uh, and it certainly has been something that I think is is a nice benefit. But when I talk to people who ask me questions and stuff uh, who aren't really familiar, I, I tell them it it's certainly not the pension that some people think when they read certain stories in the media and in other places around the country. It's not, I wouldn't say it's the highest of, or a, a very high pension actually in the aggregate compared to a lot of places that make the news media and stuff like that. But it, it's definitely a benefit. And, and right now, it, uh, the way we run the household, it, it covers all of our annual expenses uh, and then some a little bit with the exception of any, any travel we do. Uh, it's not going to cover the travel aspect of anything, but it does cover our core expenses in the household and stuff. So, so it's very good. So we're not having to worry about right now anyway, about potentially having to draw down any assets, at least in the near term, for sure. Do you add that pension at all to your net worth? Uh, I do not count it as a part of the net worth. Uh, we have done some, some testing and running some scenarios. Uh, and I have a, I have a minimum amount that I would call the pension is worth over a reasonable time period, over a, a hopefully a longevity, nice life longevity. And then I have a maximum number and it, I'm happy to give those to you, but they, it varies depending upon how I actually look at it. So but I'm yeah, I'd be curious, you. curious to what, I mean, we've done this once or twice maybe on the podcast, but I mean, that thing definitely has value. At the end of the day, like most people are, 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 you know, accumulating what we'd call a nest egg to draw on, right? And to some degree, like you have, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it's completely guaranteed, but it's nearly guaranteed income from this pension that that's paid monthly to you. And, and there's correct. value it, in that. 
it, it definitely is value. And a couple of years ago, we decided to uh, put put a value on it. And we uh, read a couple books uh, that gave us some pointers and some guidance on how to go about valuing it. But at the end, it is pretty much just straight actuarial math. The, the minimum amount that I would consider the value of the pension over a, over a lifespan is about 600,000. But in actuality, it could be end up being as high on the longevity and looking way out. It could be as much as probably close to an additional $2 million. Wow. Wow. Yeah, that's a good amount. Um, so when so when you were actually thinking about and projecting out your retirement, you know, 10 years before you retired, did you try to get to a number knowing that the pension was going to drive so much of this? Not really. I would say we just initially started striving to save a million dollars in investable assets based upon our, our meeting with uh, my wife's employer. But that really didn't stay as a focal point. And, and in honesty, we knew that the pension was going to be down the road, something available to, to us. But I don't think we ever really understood how to put a value on it. And I don't think it ever really factored in at all to our our spending plans or our, our investment plans at all. It just kind of was a thing that was lingering out there. And, and it didn't really come to the forefront, I would say, until about maybe about 18 months before I ended up leaving. Uh, I mean, I had not even logged into the, uh, to the system that the pension provider has to look and run scenarios and numbers like that. And only in the last 12 months did we start actually considering the different uh, scenarios that you can take, how how you can take the pension. But it's ended up now that it's up and running and we're taking advantage of it and, and I've left the workforce. It really is a, a, a win for the household and it gives us a lot of comfort going forward as far as the fact that it will cover almost the majority of, of just the basic household needs, even as it, even as it changes its, its uh, annual amount over the years. Mm-hmm. And I can imagine how tricky it is where I think, as you said, the actuarial math of, you know, you cannot think of it as for sure, but you you obviously don't want to be too conservative that you end up working for many extra years. Yes, that's that's right. I mean, you don't, I would tell people, and, and I've told friends and, and co-workers that they need to start looking at that much sooner than they think, because it may affect how they decide to save in their deferred compensation plan or not. But what I found is in talking to people uh, at my old job is that most people are only planning on relying upon the the pension and they're not, and, and even under, not understanding it, they still are focused on that. And they're not really saving any money in addition to that in, in the deferred compensation plan that we have available to us or that a lot of people have available to them. And I, I've tried to tell them that the, the, uh, uh, the state is the one who handles the pension plan, even though it was for a local jurisdiction. And I've tried to tell people that the state can make changes and they did make changes in the middle of my career to the pension plan and they can make those changes again. And that it, it sure would be a, a wise decision if they would uh, consider investing on their own as much as they can and, and really be serious about it so that worst case scenario, they have a, a significant fallback if the pension plan gets overhauled or changed again. Yeah, thanks for for sharing that. Robert, I want to dive in a little bit about the the transition that you've made into retirement. Is there anything that you expected that or didn't expect or what's that transition kind of been like for you, you know, as you've moved into that I guess next phase of 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 your life and career in a way? Yeah, I would say the best thing is 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 it was something something to start looking forward to and it and it has met my expectations it's the biggest benefit has just been able to to reclaim your life it's not 
it's not as if I, you know, you don't have a life when you're in the workforce and, and things, but it's a lot easier, especially when you work in a industry where there's, you know, it's shift work, you're gone, you're away from friends and family, you can't do things, you work holidays and in inclement weather and things like that. And, and a lot of other jobs do that outside of public safety, you know, the military, those people sacrifice a lot throughout their careers and things. And, and there's plenty of jobs that do that, that just a regular eight hour a day jobs that people have to juggle family and things on. But I would say getting back to being able to spend more time and take advantage of, of time with friends and family and, and with my wife and be able to just, you know, when you want to travel or leave town and, and do things, you don't have to worry about, well, the first thing is, can I get the time off away from my job uh, and be approved for that first before I even try to schedule or book the first flight or anything? And I would say the other thing, too, because our shifts were 24-hour shifts, I would say the other thing is it's been a real joy to get back to some normal eating and sleeping habits that that had slipped over the years as far as that that was concerned. The more I stayed in the fire service, the, long, the longer I was in there, the busier it got. And uh, it became a lot harder to to get a, a reasonable amount of sleep. And, and our schedule was such that only, only one time uh, – one tough shift and then you would be paying the penalty for it for the next several days. And it might only get worse uh, as you continued on our schedule that we worked, which was an unusual schedule to say the least. Nothing I would have ever expected when I started. Robert, I know that early par- early retirement is something that both you and your wife are looking forward to. So, so with this pension and with your, your, you know, quite your large nest egg, um, when does she plan to phase into retirement and join you? I think the plan right now is for her to probably leave the workforce in maybe 12 to 24 months at the at the max. Right now, we're dealing with some family uh, health issues on her side of the family, which is is not a big deal. Doesn't impact us too much directly, but we're trying to just balance being able to to uh, to deal with that situation uh, in a transitional phase. But I think once some of the those things kind of rectify themselves, I think then she'll be ready to, to also leave her job and, and then we'll go about planning for a relocation and, and uh, make those moves and get on, the, uh, get on the heavy travel bandwagon more so than we've done over the last 20 plus years, which we have traveled uh, pretty good the last 20 years. But I think she's looking forward to that. And I think she's also just looking forward to, to uh, doing more things together as a couple. She really wants to, when we relocate, she really wants to travel around the state that we're going to live in and and see everything that there is to see that uh, we didn't get to when we were living there for a time as a couple. I love it. So you're helping to sort of plan the future. And is that relocation to some, you know, warm weather location? Yes, ma'am. We're planning on moving back down to the state of Texas, which is where I'm from. Uh, and my wife spent, that's where I met her, even though she's not from there. And, uh, She's always wanted to go back. Not not long after we left the state, she's always wanted to go back. And uh, basically, uh, if anybody's ever spent time in Texas, she wants to to make all of the uh, small town festivals that come and go throughout the state throughout a 12 month period and wants to go and travel the state extensively and, and be able to do a lot of the things that we did when we were first married and uh, and see a lot of those things that we didn't get to before we relocated up here. Sounds great. And doesn't sound like it's far off either. No, it's not. And she wants to definitely, I think we've always done a pretty, uh, we've always traveled at least once a year to Europe for the last 20 plus years, except during the pandemic of the last couple of years. And I think she wants to be able to to start seeing some other places outside of Europe, of course, which we both want to, but also wants to just be able to take a couple of big trips a year 
uh, versus just the one big trip outside the United States that we've done uh, throughout the last 20 years. So I know she's looking forward to that, as am I. Uh, the question is: Is will be will we be up for some of the longer flights that lay ahead of us? I'm curious, Robert. Do do y'all have any children? No, we don't. We we thought we might have some children when we first got married, and we ended up kind of just transitioning to a point where we decided that we weren't going to end up having any. And and so no, we don't have any. Uh, we don't have any kids of our own. How do you think about your estate planning without having any any children, or is it more? family heirs or, or how do you think about that? Because we have several listeners that are in your boat too, that for whatever reason, either, you know, chose not to or couldn't have children, but then it's like, well, what do we do? Does it go to family? Is it this side of family or that side? You know, sometimes it can be, be tricky to navigate. I'm just curious how y'all have approached that. I think right now our plan, the way our estate is structured is the, the primary beneficiaries uh, are going to be my sister because of being a couple of years younger than myself, she would stand to to receive an inheritance from that. And then we've always planned, uh, I think right now it's primarily planned to go to our, to our church and, and uh, do an endowment to them as such in the will and the estate planning plan that we have right now. But I think as we get older, I think we will probably be even more focused on, on leaving it to a set of charities that we both are, are uh, think highly of and have done business with in the past. We do, we do give right now. And, uh, support several mission teams uh, in different endeavors around the country. Well, excuse me, not around the country, around the globe. And we probably would just do some adjustments to the, uh, to the estate. But we did read in, in a lot of respects. Uh, my wife and I have both read a book in the last year called Die With Zero. And uh, that's made the rounds. And that, that book does, it does change your mental mindset in a situation like ours without having any any children as to what you want to do uh, once you enter into retirement. And I, I think my wife is planning on on us doing some really uh, fun things uh, and using those resources and and, uh, and and having a nice time in retirement with them. I know there will be an estate left behind for sure, but I the way we've, way we've approached it, I don't know what that estate will look like 25, 35 years from now. So it may be a lot less than it looks like it is on today's uh, on the paper today. Uh, good for you. You've uh, definitely earned it. So go enjoy it, right? <laughs> yeah, that's that's definitely kind of I think what she's she's thinking these days, and especially after doing some of the reading that we've done in the last year that that we've always we've always enjoyed ourselves uh, and have never really lived. You know, some people think in order to meet your goals, you have to live a life of deprivation, and I would. I would say that is not us in the least. We have done and enjoyed every every minute together, all of our years together and our travels, uh, many, many, many fond memories. And, and even today, our, our average week, our average day, I would hardly say that we are people that have uh, are scrimping or saving or things like that. Like we, we do pretty much exactly what we want to do right now, uh, even, even in the phase that we're in. And we always have. And I think for us, the number one thing we did was start being serious about traveling many years ago. And when we took our first trip to get, we were going where we were going. And as soon as we went and arrived, it was it was pretty much life changing and became a came an addiction. All right. Awesome. Well, hey, uh, let's wrap up with some rapid fire questions. What's the most expensive pair of pants you've ever purchased? Probably about forty, forty five dollars for a pair of blue jeans. Okay. What about the most expensive car that you've purchased? 
$30,000. I still have the vehicle today, and we bought it in uh, the spring of 2004, and I'm still driving it currently. Wow. How many miles on it? Uh, it's only got 115,000 miles on ah, it, believe geez. it or not. Just barely broken yeah, in. Yeah, what, exactly. What kind of car I'm is it? Uh, it's a GMC Yukon, a full-size GMC Yukon, and I'm okay. considering whether or not to put some money into it and keep it another 10 years, given how expensive new cars can be these days. I, I've thought about doing that. Yeah. What's the most expensive meal out that you've paid for? Uh, probably about $150 for a 20th anniversary dinner at a steakhouse, just for the two of us, just for my wife and I. Okay. What has been the range of household income? Oh, probably at the start of our careers together, I would say we were making probably around $49,000 to start. And uh, we hit our highest year in 2021, and that was a combined 150, and it's come down since then. Okay. What is uh, household expenses, or what do you roughly spend a year outside of? Travel, I guess. Uh, core household expenses are probably around thirty-five, thirty-seven thousand a year, and then with travel budget is usually another. I would say about another ten to twelve thousand uh, a year for that. Maybe a little bit higher depending upon where we go. Okay. What luxuries do you usually pay for? Well, right now we seem or to do you pay for any. Pretty, uh, <laughs> I would say now we've switched. I, I think we've made the 100% conversion to where we will never fly anything but uh, first class or economy plus, depending upon flights, whether they're domestic or foreign. I, I don't think we're ever going to fly a coach again, and I, I I don't see that ever coming back. We we just are not doing that. I'm I'm fairly tall, and so is my wife, and we've decided there is no reason to suffer unnecessarily. Uh, the other luxuries I would say is we have a pretty good pretty good habit of drinking wine uh, or a beer, some type of a cocktail with, with uh, our meals. And so we always enjoy a good, a good drink of wine uh, with a meal. And I would say other than that, travel is the other thing, making sure we're, that when we're traveling that if you have an opportunity to do something that you may not have budgeted for or planned for in your initial trip, but you find that when you arrive at your destination, you want to do something. My wife's been pretty good about reminding me that we're here now and we don't know when we'll get back. So let's do something that we may not have planned for. And it's, it's always been a win. Okay. When did you make the switch to flying first class? Uh, probably in 2021. So back half of 21 and we've been doing it ever since. Okay. What do you think has been the key to your success? I would say for us, it's just being disciplined and, and having a plan, sticking to the plan, uh, being on the same page as far as expenses, as well as savings and saving that the putting away the max that we can in both of our, our uh, deferred compensation plans. Once we reach the point of putting the max in there, then, then we've just stuck with it. We never pulled back from it. And, uh, just being disciplined, keeping costs low on the investment side, and and uh, just being pretty pretty uh, non-complex, not trying to overthink things as far as investing, and just making sure you're saving the the maximum amount that you can every month and every year. And I'm always telling people that you know you think there's nothing left to cut out of the budget, but invariably sometimes there is, and you have to decide do you want to cut that and and save it away for the future and enjoy it then, or do you really need to be spending spending what you're spending on uh, today? What is still left on your bucket list that you're looking forward to? I would say for us, the relocation uh, and, and moving back. Uh, we've looked and found some, some housing situation uh, choices that we really like. I think we're looking forward to 
to purchasing a, a forever home and staying in that uh, for the rest of our lives. I would say also uh, I've kind of developed uh, interest in traveling over to Asia. I think I'd really like to go over uh, at this point to Japan and, and maybe Taiwan and, and the Far East. And we've never been over there, and it's a it's a long it's a long flight. But I would say just some of the some of the more exotic travel locations that that we maybe haven't had an opportunity to get to yet. Uh, and, and doing that and seeing more of the world that we haven't had an opportunity to yet. Awesome. That's Robert with a net worth of 2.15 million plus a pension, which could be another 2 million and some change. Thanks for coming to the show today. Thank you. Appreciate it. We really appreciate you having me. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Jace Mattinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website, millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.